this morning. We're glad you're all here and those that are visiting with us today, we are especially glad that you came and trust that you will be blessed, have been blessed already, and uh, that as the Lord gives you opportunity, you'll be back again with us. It's so good to see Kermit here with us this morning, brother. We, uh, we, say again, amen, yes it is, amen, well we love you, we've prayed for you all these weeks and glad you, glad you're back, amen, well we are in a, for those of you visiting, we're in a study of the gospel of John and uh, we've just Started it about month, uh, three months ago, and so we invite you to turn to John chapter one. I was talking with someone earlier about the study of scripture and um, that you know some some will take a few verses or a passage or whatever uh, sometimes a even a chapter and and go through a chapter in one sermon. And the problem is is if, if I started to do that, I get bogged down on verse 1. And so uh, there's just no sense there is no sense in me trying to jam three or four or five verses or whatever into a sermon when it doesn't fit and uh, I feel like that we lose a tremendous amount of Blessing and a tremendous amount of biblical nuggets when we pass over uh, chapters just just for the sake of moving on. I mean, we're going to be here till Jesus comes anyway, right? So if I'm gone next week, you get somebody else in here that does the same thing and keep on until the Lord returns. And if he returns before then, well, we'll just go up together and we'll have to think about it anymore. It'll just be all heaven. All right, chapter one. Notice with me, beginning in verse in verse uh, fourteen. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Now, Father, we ask that you would bless this time of ministry of your word. We pray that you would uh, teach us from it, convict us through it, draw us close to yourself, that we might walk with you in holiness and in purity, that we might have the courage of spirit to testify of the grace that you have given us in Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
We spent the last two weeks on verse 14, and we could have literally spent months on it, going back and re-examining it. But we saw there that the Word, who is Christ, came into the human race, into being here it on earth, became flesh. He dwelt among those whom he had created. Because the former verses say that all things, verse 3, all things were made through him, and nothing was made that he did not make. And then we see that he is full of glory. John says we've seen his glory. The glory as the only Son from the Father. He is full of grace and truth. And having said that, we see in verse 15 that John says, he says, speaking of John the Baptist, he says, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Now, John the Baptist, or maybe better stated, John the Baptizer, was in the wilderness and began to preach about the coming Messiah, so that all who believe in him would be saved and have eternal life. This was the purpose of John's coming, was to announce that salvation was in the Messiah. He was to straighten the road for Christ. He was to to make the high places low and the low places high so that there would be level ground for Christ to come into the world and fulfill the mission that the Father had given him. This is in keeping with the purpose of the entire book. As we've seen from John chapter 20 verse 31, these are written so that you may believe That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing you may have life in His name. So John was a witness. He was a witness of the events and the claims of Christ. And we see that he continues this same witness. We're talking about John the Apostle now. And he was speaking of John the Baptist. But John carries on this whole idea of being an eyewitness as well. From his epistle in 1 John chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. We see, we see the first hand evidence. Look at it with me. 1 John. Very, all the way near your Bible in the back. Just before Revelation. 1 John chapter 1. Notice what he says. In verse 1. He says, that which was from the beginning, sounds very much like his gospel, doesn't it? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, so he he has evidence of hearing him. Which we have seen with our eyes, so he saw him. Which we looked upon, not only saw him, but studied him. 
and have touched with our hands. He felt him. He was not, as the Gnostics taught, a, an apparition. It's just a, a spirit. He had a fleshly human body. We've touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Verse 2, the life was made manifest. Now he states it again. We have seen it and testify to it. Testify to it and proclaim it. This eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So this is not just a nice story written. It it couldn't have been. Even, Even if a person wanted to sit down and make up a story, they could not make up one like this. You want to know the stories that were made up? That the gods existed they came to being through some something that happened and they they reigned up in a place uh high and they had human tendencies and and sins like everyone else and they played with human beings like they were marbles on a field that's the kind of thing man's mind comes up with John John speaks of his own eyewitness, but here he's speaking of John the Baptist's witness. Notice the words in verse 15. John bore witness. Which echoes the same word that we find in, in verse back in verse 7. He came as a witness to bear witness to the light. Now, I didn't, when I was in verse 7, I didn't spend any time on that word. So I'm going to do that now. It means, the words bore witness, mean to solemnly assert something, having firsthand authentic information. Firsthand. This is not second or third hand stuff. Nobody told John about it. John saw it, he heard it, he touched it, he felt of it, he he knew what he was talking about. This word was often used in legal, with legal courts to speak of confirmation, hearings to substantiate the truth. The word is used 76 times in the New Testament. It's quite a lot, actually. Matthew uses it one time. Mark uses it zero times. Luke uses it one time. John uses it 47 times. Think he's trying to tell us something? And it's used about 15, 16 times in the book of Acts. And the other epistles, it's used varyingly, just like once or twice in the epistles. So John is the major user of this word. uh, And so what we hear, we use and we hear today much about the word witness in our world. Both from a secular standpoint and from a religious standpoint. 
Witnesses are often called in trials to give testimony of evidence, to substantiate evidence. I remember sitting in the, I remember sitting one time on a jury in a murder trial down in North Carolina. Two weeks. Witness after witness came, came to the stand to testify against the defendant. To substantiate whether or not he had committed the crime. But this term is also used religiously. I mean, it's gotten to be so used that it's been skewed. And we'll see that as we go through this. What does he mean? What does John mean when he says he bore witness of Christ? What is What does it mean to bear witness in this standpoint? Well, from a religious standpoint, many would say it is... Uh, Maybe it's speaking to someone about Christ as you're waiting in line to check out at a store. Uh, Maybe it's standing on a street corner. As a fellow did in Australia, in in Melbourne, Australia, for more than 30 years, stood on a a street and handed out gospel tracts to people for 30 years. Is that what it means? To be a witness? Maybe it's wearing a religious t-shirt with a cross on it. Or Jesus saves on it. Or something of that nature. Is this, are these things what it means to bear witness to Christ? And I'm not disparaging any of them. I think they're all good in their place. Certainly handing out tracts is a great thing. Wearing a t-shirt to show that you're a Christian is a good thing. Have no problem with it. But witnessing, being a, bearing witness is far more than these things. Being a witness in the biblical sense involves several things. At least three. There are probably more. Number one, or first, it involves public declaration. Public declaration. You are declaring in a public setting that you are a follower, a believer in Jesus Christ. A witness is of no use if it does not have a voice. You can wear religious clothing. You can do good deeds. And those things are good and they're fine in their place. But until you put a voice to it. So that the public knows. It doesn't carry a whole lot of weight. Witnessing has the idea of giving forth and not holding back. Being a witness for Christ means going public. Not remaining silent. Look how many times it says in the Gospels that many of the Pharisees, it says they believed in Him, but they did not tell that they believed in Him for fear of the Jews. What does that say about those people and their belief? 
It certainly is different than the disciples, as we see in Acts 4, where they were, they were dragged in before the Sanhedrin and, and commanded not to speak anymore in the name of Christ. And what did they say? We cannot but speak of the things we have seen and heard. We are witnesses. Same thing they said on Pentecost, at the end, uh, the day of Pentecost, when the, when the church came to full birth. And we are witnesses of these things. John the Baptist, witness of Christ, was a public witness. You may never have the opportunity to speak out to multitudes like John did. But you can speak to individuals as God gives you opportunity to do so. Public is public, whether it's to a thousand or just to one. Number two, or second, not only does it involve public declaration, but it involves a competent disclosure. Competent disclosure. William Hendrickson writes, that a witness is a competent testimony concerning that which one has seen, heard, or experienced. Even in a court of law. A jury would find it hard to believe someone who had had a lifestyle of constant lies and manipulation or For instance, the testimony of a drug addict or of a constant alcoholic has to be competent. To be a genuine witness for Christ, one needs to know what they're talking about. Now, you can can talk about what Christ has done for you with little problem and with some ease because it's your testimony. You know what's happened to you and you simply explain that to someone the best you know how. But we're not talking about just a simple personal testimony here. We're talking about knowing Christ, knowing who He is, knowing what He did, knowing where He, where He came from and where He is now. A true witness does not deal in speculation or human opinions. I'll be honest with you, I've just about had enough of of people's opinions. Enough, Enough human opinions and you don't know what to believe. Because they're so subjective. What you need and what I need is objective Truth. Objective truth. One that has authority. Weight. One that says, says it like it is and it is that way. He testifies, John testified the objective truth of what he saw. We see it again in verse 32, verse 32 and verse 34. John bore witness, same word. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. 
How do we know that's true? And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. That's how we know. Because there's, there is an objective, competent disclosure of one's seeing the truth about something and then giving the details of it. Much of what goes forth about Christ in our time is filled with error and a lack of the knowledge of Christ. It's been, now it's been so many years that these errors have gone out that most of the public don't even know what to think about Jesus. You ask Jesus Christ, who, who do you think he is? And they'll tell you, well, he was a good man. Good man. He was a great prophet. Certainly, certainly great enough to have thousands of people following him. But uh, that's not enough, is it? The more we know about Christ, the more competent our testimony about him will be. So it needs to be a public declaration, a competent disclosure. And third, it needs to be a witness needs to be a involves a difficult dedication. Mm, Here's where the here's where the rubber meets the road. Difficult dedication. What do I mean by that? Marvin Vincent writes this. He was a Greek scholar and he writes this and says that the word denotes one who vindicates his testimony by suffering. Hmm. Sort of sounds like what Jesus said, doesn't it? In this world you will have tribulation. And we must enter the kingdom by much tribulation and suffering, the apostle said. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You can't get by it. You won't escape it. It'll happen in some way, some form, or at some time. Suffering is part of following Christ. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Take up his cross? What does that mean? It means you're ready to die if need be. In those days, a person who carried a cross was going to be killed. They were going to be crucified. Today it would be like carrying around an electric chair. What's he carrying that for? Well, he's carrying it to the place where he's going to be executed. In other words, a witness for Christ takes a strong and dedicated stand for Christ as the only true way of salvation with no additions and no subtractions. He is the only way. The only way. You can't add anything to it and you can't subtract anything from it. It's just Him and Him alone. You cannot be neutral as a Christian. 
There is no neutrality. John's witness for Christ ended up costing him his life. Christians in every age have followed John's John in martyrdom and in witness for Christ. And I'm simply saying that it'll cost you something to be a Christian. And if you're not recognizing that now, it you're blind. Because we're seeing it, we're seeing it taking place before our eyes. There have been some battles fought and won, but this is not over. Our enemy will not relent. He will not let up. The day is coming, and it may be soon when Christians will suffer like they've never suffered before. We see it happening in other countries and other places around the world to a great degree, even to death, places like North Korea, Iran, Venezuela. John the Baptist was a witness to the truth concerning the divine, preexistent, eternal God in human form whose name is Jesus Christ. And as the forerunner, John's, John's eyewitness account makes it very clear that he was not the Messiah, he was not the Christ. He only came as a forerunner of the Christ. He was was the infinite or the finite in introducing the infinite. He was the temporal pointing to the eternal. He was the moon that only got its reflected light from the sun. This confession is one. That many need to adhere to today. The deity of Christ has always been under attack. We looked at that earlier in the passages. We say this to say that no one, no one can take credit for any kind of spiritual accomplishment. I can't take credit for anything spiritually that's done in your life. I wouldn't try. It doesn't belong to me. Only God can produce that which is heavenly. John's reminder here in verse 15 was for his readers to look to Christ and not to himself. I'm talking about John the Baptist here. John did not want people looking to him as the answer for salvation. And we see in his statement the height of humility and self-abasement here. How many celebrity preachers that you see or hear on the airwaves, how many of them have the humility of John the Baptist? Well, I'll tell you, not many. Maybe a very few. John didn't care how the world saw him. John had nothing to show earthly for the work that he was doing for the Lord. This statement made by John the Baptist could have and likely was centered around the baptism of Jesus 
as he was with John at the Jordan River. Turn back with me to Matthew chapter 3, if you would. We get an account of that. I want you to notice Matthew 3. John here is openly preparing the way for Christ. And notice what he says. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's exactly the same message that Jesus picked up when he began his public ministry. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. He's talking about John the Baptist. This is he. Verse 4. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. Wow. Do you think, do you think TV personality preachers would dress in this way? If God told them to? His food was locusts and wild honey. I've never eaten a locust before. But I guess if you get hungry enough, Maybe eat it with the wild honey. Verse 5, Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about around about the Jordan were going out to Him. Wow, He became a, a sensation. Who is this guy in the wilderness that's preaching and, and crying out? He looks, like, he looks like something out of a back alley. And they were baptized, verse 6, by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Notice verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers. Ooh. He wasn't afraid to call out people, was he? Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees, and every tree therefore that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now I want you to notice verse 11, key, key verse here. I baptize you with water for repentance. But want, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Hmm. So John, with all of this notoriety, all of this 
spectacular. I mean, imagine looking up and seeing seeing hundreds, even thousands of people listening to you preach. And, and they're cheering and they're coming and they're being baptized by you. And they're confessing their sins. And you're calling out the, the uh, false ones. And then you say, don't look at me. I'm nothing. I'm just a voice. There's one coming after me who is mightier than me. I can't even, I can't even reach down and unbuckle his shoes and carry them. He's the one that will baptize you with the Spirit. He's the one that will save you from your sins. Before Jesus' baptism and the preaching ministry of John the Baptist, his, his ministry was that of repentance and confession of sin. But as soon as the baptism of Jesus took place, John began to have a different message. His message now was focused on the glory and supremacy of the one he came to introduce. John's witness is given in much more detail beginning in verse 19 of John 1, which we will get to. This is a mere summary. We can almost see and hear in our minds, eyes, and ears as Jesus goes down into the water to be baptized by John. We can envision as he comes up out of the water, the Spirit coming down, like a dove out of heaven and lighting on Jesus. We can hear the echoes of the voice of the Father from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This was probably the place that John uttered those words recorded by the Apostle John. This is He of whom I spoke. He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. So what is John saying? I want you to notice another word that indicates the type of witness. It's the word cried out. John cried out. It is a word of loud, deep emotion. It's a word that's that has the sound association with it of other words like if you called someone a cuckoo or the word sizzle. What does sizzle mean? You get this image in your mind of bacon on a stove sizzling. Or the word croak. You think of Frogs in a pond. This is the kind of word that has those kinds of picturesque associations with them. In fact, Greek, Greek philosophers use this word to, to speak of those sounds, like frogs. It is there to show the open pronouncement, public pronouncement of John's message of the Messiah, that the Messiah had indeed arrived. We saw that announcement in Matthew 3, verse 3, where John uses a synonym to speak 
of how he shouted the, out that which was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah from chapter 40, verse 3. Now, to get an idea of what this would have been like, let's look at a couple of other passages just to get the idea in our mind of what John was actually doing and how he was doing it on that day, I think, was probably at the baptism of Christ. Turn, turn to Matthew chapter 8. Let's just go just a few. These are all in Matthew. You just need to flip a few. Matthew chapter 8. This is the story of the demon-possessed men. They came out of the tombs crying. It says in verse 29, And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us? Did you hear that? That's what it would have been like. Oh, Son of God, you came to torment us before the time. Turn over to, let's see, chapter 14. Chapter 14. The disciples are out on a boat on the sea. A storm came up. They, they were afraid they were going to drown. And they look and they see Jesus walking on the water. And they're afraid. They think it's some kind of spirit. Maybe to destroy them. And look at what it says. Verse 26 and 30. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Verse 30, and when they saw the wind, when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. See, this is not just, Lord, save me. This is not a casual comment. Verse 15 or chapter 15, verse 22, And behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord! And the disciples, in verse 23, wanted to send her away because she was crying out. She's making too much of a scene. Don't make a scene. Chapter 20, verse 30. Two blind men sitting by the roadside. They heard Jesus was passing by and they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, O son of David. Matthew 21, verse 9. Jesus enters into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And the crowd goes before him. The crowd that followed him were shouting, same word, Shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine the noise? As they said this over and over again. Matthew 27, verse 23. Pilate says, Why do you want to crucify him? What evil has he done? But they shouted, same word, they shouted all the more. Let him be crucified. Hmm. 
John cried out. This is he of whom I said. He ranks before me. So it's interesting. The interesting thing about this is this word crying out and how John did it is that it's is that it's in the perfect tense. His crying out was in the perfect tense, which which means that the action of his crying out took place then and it's still taking place now. How's that possible? It is possible because it is recorded in the living, abiding Word of God. John is still shouting out. He is still crying out. This is he. This is he. What exactly was John's witness of Jesus? He said, it is he, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. So in John's acknowledgement of the preeminence of Christ is the deity of Christ. He was before me. And he, he talks here the same way that he speaks in verse 1. The people had been looking for a Messiah for hundreds of years. One like Moses who would deliver them out of the hands of the Romans. John says, this is he. There are other passages that give more light on that. For example, Matthew eleven three, 3, he, he said to him, Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? John was in prison. He wanted to know for sure, was Jesus the one or not? Jesus said, go tell John that the blind eyes see, deaf ears hear, and the, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Yes, I'm the one. Luke 7 verses 19 and 20, calling two of his disciples, he sent them, he sent them to the Lord asking, are you the one? John 6 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet that was to come into the world. This was John's work. This was what he was born to do. He was before me. Now you've got to understand, John is not talking there about the physical Jesus. He's talking about the pre-existent Christ. And he uses the same word that he uses in verse 1. In the beginning, was, for he was before me. The word me, which means existence. So we're talking about the pre-existing Christ. But in, in physical terms, John was actually six months older than Jesus. John came into existence in time, but Jesus pre-existed. John did speak of his calling to be the forerunner for Christ and being before him in that sense in John chapter 3 verse 28. For you yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. Before him in time. So here he uses that same word in verse 1 to speak of Christ's eternality. 
And he is saying that Christ lived long before he was born in Bethlehem. But there's another sense in which he is speaking here when he says that he ranked before me. So what does he mean by that? Well, John, if you recall, had accrued some notoriety and fame as a preacher, as the preacher in the wilderness. Huge crowds. Many people, Mark says, Mark says, and all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and being baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins, which we just saw in Matthew a few minutes ago. You understand that in the Jewish culture, preeminence and precedence were revered by, by much of, many of the Jews and that bestowed Special honor on people. If you, if you were the oldest, you had special honor. If you were the leader of a group, you had special honor. Preeminence and, and precedence. Some, some may have been put off at the one coming higher than John. But in the pathway of life, even though John was ahead of Jesus in age, Jesus had gotten ahead of him, and that was perfectly fine with John. We know it was, because we can see his inner humility in chapter 3, verses 30 and 31, where he says, He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. John knew who he was. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, I baptize with water for repentance. He who is coming after me is mightier than I. So, John has set the standard for us in witness. And the testimony, and having a testimony for Christ. So how... Should we bear witness? How do we bear witness of Jesus? And as I said before, many say of Jesus was a good man, and he was. Some point to his example of doing good deeds, and he did good deeds. However, If this is all people see about Jesus, if all they know of him is that he was a great man or a good man or a man uh, that did miracles or a man who did, did good deeds, they will die in their sins and suffer in hell forever. If that's all they see. They need to understand that he was a man, but he was also God. In human form. He is the only one. Who can save them from their sins. And John related this brilliantly. So. I ask the question. How are we doing. With these same truths that John. Is still speaking today from the pages. Of Holy Scripture. How are we doing. 
Do we place Christ above ourselves? Are we quick to give Him glory rather than take it for ourselves? I say that we should lift our voices and proclaim that Christ Jesus is the Lord and that we are nothing more than His slaves to do His bidding until He comes or calls us home. That's it. We must decrease. He must increase. People will not know that you're a Christian by the smile on your face. For a lot of people, smile. It's called Minnesota nice. They won't know that you're a Christian by a t-shirt with a cross on it. Or hanging a cross around your neck. They won't know. They will know that you are a Christian by the way you speak about Christ and the way you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's how they know. Let's go out into this evil world And when we help people and do good deeds, let's do it in the name of Christ. When we do witness to someone, let's do it with clarity about who Christ is. And when the suffering comes, whether it's by persecution or whether it's by some disease or whether it's by pain, Let's make much of Christ in it and through it so that the world would know that we belong to Him and He to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this Lord's Day. Thank You that we can come and worship You today, sing the songs of praise and adoration, that we can pray publicly and openly to you, that we can be ministered to by your word. We thank you for these things. And we pray, O oh God, that in these days, these, these last days, as we see events clearly rolling toward the end of days, we pray that you would give us the boldness and the knowledge and the courage to make our voices known, to witness, to bear witness, crying out, this is He of whom the prophet spoke. Listen to Him. And may many find faith through the life, death, and resurrection of the Son of God. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Brother Jared, if you'll come.